Well, good morning. I am Pastor Kurt Gentry. If you're here for the first time, just uh, I've been here a long time, so it's just so you know, I've been here a while. But no, I'm just thankful that you're here today. Uh, we're in the middle of a series called In the OT. And just a reminder to a few of you, uh, again, as you saw on the screen, the core team uh, meeting next week. If you didn't get a chance the last few weeks to come to it or last two weeks ago, or even if you did, if you want to hear uh, and come and just support us for that, we would love to have you for that to hear what's going on around here at Renovation Church, okay? If you would do that, would be great. Numbers 22 through 25 is an account of Israel's final test before entering the promised land. And unfortunately for Israel, they had this bad habit of failing the test. (laughs) They just, for whatever reason, seem to stumble along the way when these things come to them. Forty years of wandering in the wilderness were about to be over. And the Israelites had spent this time coming out of Egypt, wandering from place to place, sometimes staying longer than other times, and, and God working on them at times, I guess, through them, but big challenges for them. And now they were at the point they'd just defeated the Amorites, and here they are, and they are now camped next to the Jordan River across from Jericho. You can see there uh, at Abel. I'm going to say this. I tried to figure out other translations for it. There's really only one way to say it. It's Shittim, okay? Now, I just want to tell you that up front because there may be other words I use today that just so, just for that purpose. But that is where they're camped. You see Jericho there. You see Moab. You see Ammon. You see those places. That's where they are right now, just on the verge of going into the promised land. Now, Moses, during this time, these months or however long it is, in these months, he's writing Deuteronomy. It's not called Deuteronomy necessarily at that time, but he's writing a series of farewell speeches, if you will. And trying to help prepare the Israelites, because he's not going to get to go in with them. He already knows at this point, he's going to die before he goes in. He knows that God's shown him. He's writing these instructions, if you will, to the children of Israel to help them, remind them, look what your parents did, if you will. Learn from what's happened before. It was disastrous. I tried to lead them, and they were not obedient. They didn't trust me. Trust me. Be obedient. So here they are. Forty years. And as we're going to read this morning, another temptation is going to come their way. Just a side note, it's not a side note, it's not like an irrelevant note, but just a note here. As Israel approached this region, God has told them, not necessarily in this path, well, it, it, it may be, but, but in Deuteronomy 2.9, said, the Lord said to them, do not harass the Moabites or provoke them to war, for I will not give you any part of their land. I will give uh, it will be, have given Ardo the descendants of Lot as a possession. He's saying to them, as you approach Moab, and as, as, the, as we saw there, as you approach it, do not bother them. Leave them 
alone. It's important. So there's four players that I'm going to mention here today that I'm sure there's more lessons and a lot more things you could pull out of this, but I hope as I have tried to work through this over these last few weeks that this will be of help to you today as you read the Scripture. It's a fascinating story to me if you just read it as a story. But the powerful spiritual images in it are even more fascinating to me. There's the Israelites. There's King Balak, the king of Moab. There's Balaam the diviner, the diviner, however you want to say the diviner, who is a, basically a soothsayer, but his main thing is the curser. He can be the blesser. He's the blesser and the curser. You know anybody who's a curser? Eh, just kidding. You may think it's me today. <laughs> and the fourth... Well, Numbers 22, 21 tells us, And Balaam rose up in the morning, this is a King James Version, and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. I just think that's fascinating, the phrase, saddled his ass. That was a fascinating phrase there. And it bothers some of you, and it's going to bother you more today that you're hearing that word in church more than what I'm about to say to you today for some of you. You're going to get stuck right there on that word. That's going to bother you more than some of the things I believe God's going to share with you this morning you'll just listen but that's King James version but there is a donkey that I think is real relevant in this passage of scripture I'm about to read you a lot of scripture we're going to read the whole 22nd chapter I'm going to read it and you can follow along on the screen it's a lot it may take us five minutes six minutes to read it but I think it's worth it. I really think it's worth it to you get a grasp, especially if you don't know this story. If you don't know this story, to me just to skip around, I think would be doing you a disservice this morning uh, for this passage. We're not going to go through all through 22 through 25, but I think 22 helps us set the stage for what we're talking about this morning. So here we go, okay? Then the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho, as I showed you earlier. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. The, the Moabites said to the elders of Midian, this horde is going, to kick, is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. Now get all these visuals as we're reading through this, okay? So Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, or Beor, whatever. And he's in another place there, near the Euphrates River, in his native land. Balak said, a people has come out of Egypt. They covered the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whosoever you bless is blessed. And whosoever you curse is cursed. I mean, it sounds like Balak has raised Balaam up to God, right? God's status here. 
So the elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination, in other words, for his services, for Balaam's services. When they came to Balaam, they told, told him what Balak had said. Spend the night here, Balaam said to them, and I will report back to you with the answer the Lord gives me. So the Moabite officials stayed with him. God said to Balaam and asked, Who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. A people that has come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I will be able to fight them and drive them away. But God said to Balaam, Do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. And the next morning, Balaam got up and said to Balak's officials, Go back to your own country, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the Moabite officials returned to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. Then Balak sent other officials, more numerous and more distinguished than the first. They came to Balaam and said, This is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Do not let anything keep you from coming to me, because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. But Balaam answered them, Even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Now spend the night here so that I can find out what else the Lord will tell me. That night God came to Balaam and said, Since these men have come to summon you, go with me. But only do what I tell you. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, or we read earlier, and went on with the Moabite officials. But God, but God was very angry when he went. And the angel of the Lord stood on the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword on his hand, he turned off the road into a field, and Balaam beat it to get back on the road. Now get this picture. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyards and the walls on both sides. When a donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it, so he beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam, and he was angry and beat it with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and said to Balaam, what have I done to you to make me beat, beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey. <laughs> you have made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would have killed you. I wouldn't just beat you. I'd have just killed you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, <laughs> it's here. And just by the way, just so you don't get too... This story is referred to in the New Testament. This story is referred to multiple times in the Old Testament. Jesus talks about Balaam. So you, if you're getting freaked out this morning, oh, well, this is just a made-up story. Jesus refers in Revelation to Balaam. Peter talks about him. Jude talks about him. So hang in here with me, okay? Okay. Where were we? Oh. 30? Okay. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey? 
which you've always written to this day. Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you, to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. Somebody needs to hear that in here today. Your path is reckless before you. I'm sending those to slow you down. And I'll go to whatever it takes. I better not get into my sermon notes here. I'm going to preach it in just a minute. The donkey saw me and turned away from me three times. If, I had not turned, if, if it had not turned away, I would have certainly have killed you by now. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I, do not realize, I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you are displeased, I will go back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with, the, with Balak's officials. When Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the Moabite town of the, uh, on the Armon border at the edge of his territory. Balak said to Balaam, Did I not send you an urgent summons? Why didn't you come to me? And am I, am I really not able to reward you? Well, I've come to you now. But I can't say whatever I please. I must speak only what God puts in my mouth. Then Balaam went with Balak to uh, Kirjath Husoth. Balak sacrificed cattle and sheep and gave some to Balaam and the officials who were with him. The next morning, Balak took Balaam up to uh, Bamath Baal, and from there he could see the outskirts of the Israelite camp. How many minutes was that? That's longer than six, I think, but that's okay. Let me say this first. The whole thing I'm going to read to you today and we're going to talk about today was unnecessary. This is all unnecessary, what I'm about to share with you today. It's all unnecessary. It doesn't have to happen. But King Balak and the Moabites believed that Israel was going to evade and invade and devastate their land. To kill their people, to take all their wealth. Even though they were basically the same size, the best I could figure out from reading, the same size as Israel as far as people. They had heard about Israel. Israel's reputation went before them. They had heard what they had done to the Amorites. And in a natural sense, can you blame them for being concerned when they start seeing them moving next door? The word says 
that they were sick with dread. But what I love about the Hebrew language as I was reading this is so this 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 just like well, they were sick. No, it literally means that they were so terrified they were throwing up. So get that picture. They were so scared to death, it was visceral, so scared to death, it was down to the depths of their soul, they were so afraid. So Balak forms a plan, an alliance with the Midianites, to get the people of Israel what? Cursed. What he was wanting to do was set God against Israel and they be blessed, basically, is what he was trying to do. If he can get those people cursed, then we've got an advantage. Now, the Midianites, just to throw this in here, they're kind of a nomadic group, the best I can tell, were also the offspring of Abraham. From Keturah, part of the concubine. Now, the Moabites, I mean, the, the Midianites, I mean, Moses' wife was a Midianite. Jethro was a Midianite. Ruth was a Midianite princess before she became a Jew and became a child of Israel. But for the most part, Midianites were a thorn in the side of Israel. And part of that, I believe, comes out of the fact that Abraham did this in the flesh. Let me tell you, folks, a little bit of warning. What you do in the flesh may continue and continue to come back to haunt you, and it has. For the people of Israel. So they stoked the fire of fear. Instead of the princes of the Midianites saying, dude, let's just go talk to Moses. Well, we got a good history with Moses and to some degree. Remember, Jethro, why don't we just go talk to Moses? Instead, they stoked the fire. They stoked this fire of fear. And this fear began to grow. I would rather build an alliance of fear I'd rather build an alliance of divisiveness. I'd rather build an alliance of vilify instead of no. Any culture you've been around lately that has that sense in it? Or I'd rather just stoke fear. Fear sells. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 43, 44, this is a King James Version. Ye have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. God had already told Israel not to bother Moab. 
If Balak had just went to Moses and say, can we talk? If he had just went to Moses and say, I am shaking in fear. But I know my God says to bless, not curse. My God, matter of fact, our God, our, our God, Jesus came that we would be people of what? Reconciliation. Not division. Not curse my enemy, but to bless and pray for them. I don't care if they spit on you. They've cursed you. They've slandered you. They're one thing they can't stop and they can't keep you from doing is loving them. They don't control you. When you start cursing, that means they control you. When you get angry every time, that means they're controlling you. But here, this unwarranted fear. When fear is the filter, bad things happen. We live in a culture, I believe, that stokes fear. God help us and help the church. We do not operate with a spirit of fear. But of power and love. Bless your enemies. Not curse them. If Balak would have understood this, all this whole story is avoided, and we can go home right now. We could go home by 1050. But that's not what he did. <laughs> Instead, King Balak sets that out to hire the best cursor in the world. And I don't mean foul language, even though I, I, I could have been, Jan would have tell you, I could have qualified as that at one time, right, Jan? I, I would have been right up there with one of the best cursors in the world. The language that came out of my mouth, but you imagine that. If you've got a bad habit of that, just think of the whole idea of why we call it cursing. You're speaking curses instead of blessing? Just get that in your mind just for a moment. When you say it to your children, when you say it to your spouse, when you said you're speaking curses, not just cursing, but curses over your marriage, over your family, over your situation. I know I'm messing around today with these two words, but they're just in the Bible, so it makes it a little more fun. But you know what I'm saying here. So who's he going to go out and hire to really not stop him from being fearful? But to help instigate it. I'm going to get in trouble right here, but you almost think you'd go out and just get a cable news show and start doing that, huh? Let's go by a cable news station and let's just start this. I don't need a cursor. Anyway, I'm, I know I'm getting in trouble here, but yeah, let's go. Instead, he hires Balaam, a priest diviner. And I, the best I can tell here, a priest diviner is a, is a prophet wannabe. Best way I can, that's my words. It's not scripture, that's my translation. <laughs> 
And it must have been internationally known because they had to go 400 miles. Now think about that, 400 miles to get from, from Moab to Balaam's house. And Balaam considered himself a devotee of every god. Believing that he could communicate work and curse for any god. In other words, he was a mercenary. Primarily concerned with making money. And he'd go either way with you. If you want me to bless you, I'll go do that for a fee. Or you want me to curse you, I'll go do that for a fee. His, his name, Balaam's name, means destroyer or devourer of the people. I think it fits if your whole job is cursor. <laughs> so King Balak sends two different delegations, one Apparently wasn't high-ranking enough, and, and, and really the first time when, when they came, uh, God just, Balaam, Balaam, Balaam comes back to him and just says, go on home. Yeah, I don't have anything to tell you. Second time, since a little more prestigious, a little more who knows, who, who knows all there are, more princes, more people. This time, this delegation says what? They say, hey, you'll be handsomely rewarded, we're just telling you. And, and Balaam responds back, it doesn't matter. You could give me all the gold you have and all the silver you have in your palace. I can't do anything different. They still stay. So Balaam goes during the night. He says, hey, stay the night. Next day he gets up. Or during the night, God speaks to him. Basically says he can go. There's some conditions, but there he can go. But he tells him what? You must not put a curse on this people because they are blessed. He repeats it multiple times, if you will. And as I read this, even again here, it reminds me That when God gives us conditional permission for something, sometimes we take it as full permission. God may want you to work with a certain group of people to reach out to them, to be whatever. Then all of a sudden you decide, well, he wants me to go a little further and maybe just be one of them. He didn't say not to. I've had this teenagers. Well, Dad, you didn't say I couldn't do that. Okay, I got to cover everything before you leave. <laughs> yeah, anybody, any parent ever been in that situation going, and had that thrown at you going, well, I know, I just assumed we wouldn't have to cover that. And that's kind of where Balaam is here. God's going, okay, I did not give you permission for that, but what I think is interesting here is he ends up, and we're going to read here in just a minute, what we're going to talk about in just a minute, he ends up blessing Israel. But what's crazy about this is that God can work through someone even though they may not allow God to work in them. God can work through someone even though they may not allow God to work in them. And sometimes these tests come and they come before major things. I remember back in 1999, the end of 1999, we were about to move. And I, I, before I got here, they had bought that piece of property 
at 2950 West Ray Road at the corner of Price and, and Ray and Chandler, Arizona, the church, uh, Crossroads Church of the Nazarene had at the time Dobson Ranch, then became Crossroads. And they had bought that piece of property. It had kind of been the target for all those years, 17 acres there. And it is, it is a prime piece of property right there, just still is to this day. But especially then, that's before, the, that's before 101 was there. Okay, it was just a dirt lot out there, and there hardly was anything out there except Price and Ray. And many of you in this room know, some of you in this room remember that. And we're just about to go into the promised land in the fall of 1999. And what is commonly referred to for people from crossroads is the Iranian crisis. Just about to go into the promised land, just about to get into the place we've been working for for so long. There's an Iranian church that we had that God had, I feel like, had blessed us with. A Hispanic church, a Korean church, all inside our body there at Crossroads. It was awesome. And the Iranian church was probably 75 to 100 people. And God was transforming. He literally was transforming people's lives. He was. I had no question in my mind that that was happening. Because I knew the people. I mean, they'd come from all, all over the world, really. And the Iranian people were coming to know Christ in an unbelievable way. No question. What we didn't know was the pastor was running a Ponzi scheme at the same time. That's what we didn't know. Now, I don't know all the details. I won't try to get into all of it, but it was between $750,000 and $1 million. $750,000 and $1 million he skimmed from people within the church and everywhere else. That I know to this day he never had any legal action land on him. That didn't mean... But guess what? The first service ever, the first gathering ever in the promised land, in that sanctuary ever, because our first service was outside because we didn't have a, a, a certificate of occupation. The first service ever in that building, if you've ever been there, was about the Iranian crisis, ever. Thank goodness people were faithful. Thank goodness people held the line and tried to do right things. And God ultimately blessed that church from what it, it took a hit. It, it took a significant hit. But out of that, God raised it back up. But here's what I want you to hear. The blessings from God, Balaam spoke, were real. The blessings did not return void because the messenger was corrupt. Wow. Wow. Even though the messenger can be corrupt, God does not return void. Amen. Amen. People's lives were changed in spite of. And as we read, God sent an angel to oppose Balaam. And, angel, you know, and the bunk he was riding kept trying to, just trying to do everything he could to, 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 to stop it. And I don't know if he was afraid for himself or he was afraid for Balaam, but it doesn't say that for sure. All he knows is he sees an angel in the, in the way three different times ready to take the sword out and take him out. And obviously we've already laughed a little bit about the exchange 
between Balaam and the donkey? God goes to great lengths to get your attention. Great lengths. He may set a bush on fire. He may knock you off your high horse when you were a persecutor and a violent man. God will go to great lengths to get your attention. And you may be too stubborn to see what God is up to and oppose it. God may be using some of the hardest things in your life to get your attention. He may be using an ass to get your attention, as he did with Balaam. Those things that may be infuriating you and frustrating you and you're wanting to just, you're cursing them, you're, that may be the very thing God is using to get your attention. That very gnawing, that boy, I wish they would go. Maybe God's using them to work on something in your life. Just maybe. And maybe that thing he's trying to work on is keeping you from being on the path you're supposed to be on. And maybe, just maybe, like this donkey, and I'll quit saying the word, I know it's bothering some of you, but what I think of about this donkey is he's saying, dude, I've been your biggest fan. I've been your biggest fan. Have I ever done this to you before? Show me in history with our relationship that I've ever tried to hurt you before. But I'm coming to you today to tell you this. We can all have critics, right? We can all have critics. But not fans. Fans who love you but are not impressed by you. Fans who love you but have your best interest at heart. I think of the donkey saying, dude, I was trying to protect you the whole time. And for some of you here today, I want to encourage you. You don't see how in the world God can use you. But if God can use a jackass, he can use you. Don't miss everything I'm saying today because of the word I'm using. In Moab, King Balak takes Balaam up to three different high spots or mountains. Balaam does what he's supposed to do. If you're reading verse, you can go ahead and read it on your own, not right now, preferably, but later. He takes him up to these mountains. He ends up giving seven different messages before it's all over with. But these first three, I think, are interesting. because it, well, All of them are interesting. But in these first three, he takes him up to these mountains. He keeps taking him up there. And, and, and every time he gets up there, Balaam does his sacrifices that he's supposed to. He talks to God, of all things, up there. He's listening to Elohim. He's listening. And then he does what he can only do, which is what? Bless Israel. <laughs> Three different times, 
But after the second blessing, King Balak told, told Balaam in verse 